joining us for the first time today or if you've been away for a while, um, we've been camped out in Nehemiah chapter 3 where we read about Nehemiah returning to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity and rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the gates. And we've been talking about uh, 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 taking a gate check of our own lives. We've been using this chapter really as, as a, a springboard for what Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us because our lives are like cities, and we've all got walls, we've got defenses, we've got these things that we've built around our lives. But one of the things we've been saying every Sunday in this series is that a walled city without gates is a dead city. In other words, if you wall yourself off to all kinds of things um, and, and there's nothing getting in or out of your city, you're eventually going to die. And we've talked about all these different gates. There's a map up on the screen for you if, if you haven't seen this before. But by now, if you're a connector, you've seen this week after week. We've worked our way around from the Sheep Gate on the north uh, all the way around the south. And now we're on the east side. And today we're at the Horse Gate. After this, we've just got two more gates to cover. And then we're going to be moving on to a new series, which I'm very excited about. But today we're talking about the horse gate. The horse gate, you can see it there on the map, was on the east side of the temple, and it was overlooking the Kidron Valley. And it's called the horse gate because this was the gate where horses would come in and out. Of course, they would have riders, and, 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 and they were coming in and out to the palace grounds. This map is not drawn exactly to scale, uh, that Temple Mount area there that's on your map is actually way too big for the scale of the city. But the horse gate was, had a proximity to the palace, to the, to the uh, kingly palace, and to horse stables. And so this was a convenient area for horses and riders, kings especially, to come in and out of the city, in and out of the palace, particularly for war. This was the gate where kings who were going to war would ride out, and then after the war was over, they would come back, hopefully in victory. Some of them came back in defeat. Uh, there is one record in the Old Testament that says a king was brought back dead through the horse gate, and that was unfortunate for him. But this gate, I didn't mean that to be funny, but, you know, I'll, I'll take a laugh whenever it's offered, really, so... Uh, but this gate speaks to us and to the walls of our city. It speaks to us about the battle that we are in. There, there's a verse in Proverbs that says this, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I think this verse can really speak to us today. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. How many of you want victory in your life? I, I do, right? Who's the victory belong to? The Lord. And who needs to be prepared? Sure, the horse. Maybe you're a horse. A horse of horse, of course, of course. I think there was a sitcom with that, right? Someday in, in my past. <laughs> so we're in a battle. You and I are in a spiritual battle. And we need to be prepared the reality of this battle is that it has life and death consequences depending on what we do with this horse gate and how we engage in spiritual battle. Today what I want to do is I want to give you strategy for your battle. I want to give you very practical strategies that will help you make sure that you are aligned with the Lord who brings you victory. Here's the problem though. I think a lot of times we close the horse gate or we close ourselves off to battles because one of two things, we're tired of the fight, we don't want to fight anymore, or we just don't have strategy. And so we just close that horse gate, we just say, I'm not going to battle anymore. Let me give you some examples of where the battle exists. How many battle with temptation? Nobody's hands goes up, but I know what's going through your mind. We all battle with temptation, don't we? 
But sometimes, isn't it true that we get tired of battling it? And sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, it's just easier to give in to the temptation than it is to fight it. Okay? What have you done? You've closed the horse gate and you've said, I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm tired of fighting it. I'm just going to do whatever it is that my desires are inclining me to do. What about marriages? Anybody battling in your marriage? Don't raise your hand because your spouse might not know. We get tired of the battle in our marriage. So what do we do? We start avoiding. We start just sweeping things under the rug. We don't resolve conflict. Why? Because we're tired of the battle or we don't have strategy. Um, this would be a good place for me to just say, we're gonna have a great marriage seminar in a couple of weeks. And those of you that are struggling in any way in your relationship, whether you're engaged or you're dating or you're married, please don't miss this opportunity. I just sense in my spirit that this is going to be a moment of strategy in the Connect Church family. This marriage seminar is gonna be a moment of strategy. You're gonna develop skills, you're gonna learn some things that's going to transform your relationship. Don't miss it, okay? because you might be closing the horse gate by saying no to this seminar. Here's another thing I think we battle with. We battle with prayer. Am I the only one that battles with prayer? Some, sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes it's hard to hear God speak. Sometimes we struggle with that, that, that weird idea that what's the point of prayer because God does whatever he wants to anyway, right? Which is terrible theology but I'm not teaching on that today. But sometimes we just stop praying because we're tired of the battle. It's hard sometimes. And there's another battle that I'm gonna talk about a little later on, and that's, that's sometimes we have to battle for the people we're going fishing for. I talked about this last week. I'm gonna give you some strategies for that today. Sometimes we just stop battling for the people we're fishing for because they seem so resistant and it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere in that battle. There's strategy. And so today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to encourage you not to quit battling. We have a responsibility as Christian people to engage in the battle, enter the, the, the battlefield and, and know that victory belongs to the Lord. Say it with me. Victory belongs to the Lord. Say it. Victory belongs to the Lord. That's what we know. It's a promise. Victory belongs to the Lord. If you quit battling, friends, your city, our lives, are going to become vulnerable to attack and possibly defeat. So I'm, I'm going to talk about two areas of our lives. and We're going to start with how to battle for yourself. And then we're going to go on to how to battle for the fishes that you're fishing for. If you're confused about that, I'll explain what that all means in a little bit. But I, I'm going to give you three strategies for each of these two areas. So you're going to have six really practical things you can do to engage in the battle moving forward. So let's start this morning with how to battle for yourself. You ready? Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be fun. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to start there this morning. All these verses will also be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible or you just want to follow along up there, that's fine as well. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the battle. Now, the book of Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in a city called Ephesus. And, and these people were in a spiritual battle. And so Paul was giving them some very practical advice, some stuff that we can learn from. Here's what we read. You ready? It says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Everybody say amen. That's good right? Victory belongs to the Lord, okay? Verse 14, 
Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And for those of you that, like me, like the, the Greek words, that, that word there is rhema. The sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. This is that immediate word that God speaks to you to make you ready for the battle. Verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, keep it open there because what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull three strategies from this passage that I think we can employ to make sure that we are prepared for the battle. Here's strategy number one for our own spiritual battle. Number one, identify the real enemy. Listen, you and I have got to know who the real enemy is. And the reality is sometimes we mistake the enemy for something or somebody else. Am I right? Imagine that you're riding your horse out the horse gate and you're going to the battlefield and you fight the wrong enemy. What's going to happen? The real enemy is going to attack you and they're going to, they're going to wipe you out. They're going to get your butt kicked by the real enemy because you focused on the wrong thing. Okay? What does Paul say? If you look at verse 12 again, if you've got your Bible open, verse 12 says, says this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Here's the deal, everybody. People are not your spiritual enemy. Have you ever mistaken it? Have you ever gotten really, really upset with somebody because they're attacking you? And you've, you, you've thought, this person is just pure evil. And, and maybe you've engaged in... Anybody ever get in fights with your family just before church or in the car on your way to church? What do you think is happening? Is your teenage daughter the enemy? Sometimes. <laughs> Never. What's happening in the car on your way to church? There's spiritual warfare taking place, right? There's a battle taking place in the unseen world trying to distract you, trying to get you so mad, trying to get you so upset that when you get to church, you can't receive anything because all you can think of is how you're going to get revenge when you get home, okay? And you know this is true, right? People are not the enemy. Maybe you've had conflict at work. Students, maybe you've had conflict with a professor who doesn't respect you. Maybe it's been a family member. And, 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 and the battle is real, but you haven't yet come to the place where you perceive that people aren't the real enemy. The real enemy are the evil spirits in the unseen world. And the question that we have to deal with is how do you fight evil spirits in the heavenly realms? How do you fight evil spirits? I'm so glad you asked because that leads us to the second strategy. Here's your second strategy. Armor up. Armor up. You've got to have spiritual armor. And, and if you're riding your horse out the gate into battle with no armor on, you're going to be vulnerable to attack. And so Paul gives us, in, in Ephesians 6 that we just read, Paul gives us this beautiful word picture of what spiritual armor looks like. Spiritual armor uh, looks like truth and God's righteousness, the good news, the gospel, consists of faith, salvation, the rhema of God. If this is new to you, let me encourage you to go back. You, on, on our podcast page, you can find a series. We did a whole series in 2016 on the armor of God, one week for each one of these things. If you want to learn more, you can go back on our podcast page. Just, just uh, search for the armor of God. 
And, and when you get there, uh, it, it's there for you if you want to learn more. I'm not going to go into this today, but I want you to know that the way you engage spiritual enemies is with spiritual armor. And you, you've got to have all these things, truth, righteousness, good news, faith, salvation, rhema of God. You've got to have these things active in your life, both as defensive and offensive weapons against the spiritual enemies in your life. So you've got to know who the real enemy is. You armor up. Here's the third strategy. Paul says in verse 18, he says, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit at all times. Now, when Paul uses the term pray in the spirit, you can study all of his other letters in the New Testament. When he says pray in the spirit, most often what he is talking about is praying in your supernatural prayer language. Uh, the, the old versions of the Bible, well, some of the new versions too, call this speaking in tongues. You've probably heard that term, and we've taught on that frequently. This, this prayer language, this supernatural language that God gives believers is when the Holy Spirit prays through us. And Paul says if you're going to be engaged in battle, one of the strategies you've got to have at the ready is this prayer language, praying in the Spirit. How does it work? Well, it works when, when we're listening to what God is saying, and he gives us this language that we've never learned. It, it, it's a supernatural language. He gives it, and, and we begin speaking it, and there's spiritual power in this supernatural language that, the God, that, that God gives to believers. Okay? Now, somebody this week asked me, what's the point? What, what's the point in praying in a language that you don't know? Well, Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, it's up on the screen, here's the point of praying in this language. Romans 8, 27 says, the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Have you ever worried that sometimes when you're praying, maybe you're praying something that God doesn't want you to have? Or have you ever been in a, in a spiritual space in which you just didn't know what to pray? It's just kind of a mystery. This is where praying in the Spirit is powerful because when you tap into this supernatural language that the Spirit gives, the, the Holy Spirit himself is giving you the language. And, and what Paul says here, very powerful, you are praying the will of God over your life. Does God answer prayers that are according to his will? 100%, right? 100%. Let me give you an example. This week, um, I was just going about my daily business, minding my own business. And uh, all of a sudden, my eyes landed on something that could have led me into temptation. Something that years ago I had dealt with, don't want to go back to. It, it's not a part of my life. But my eyes landed here on this thing. And it was so jarring to me, it took, it, it took my breath away. And I, I felt like, oh God, this is something that I have put away. At, I have put this away, and, and now there's this temptation that has just landed in my, life, in, in my lap. And I'm like, I, I was so taken aback, I didn't even know how to pray. And immediately the Holy Spirit gave me this language that just came bubbling up out of my spirit. And I began to pray in my prayer language. And it was powerful. Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps just telling you about it. It was powerful. And I just prayed in that supernatural language un until I, I, I just felt like that, that spiritual attack had abated. It was gone. Now, in that moment, it took me by such surprise, I didn't have English words to pray. And, and, and I'm so thankful that, that I have practiced praying in my spiritual language, in my prayer language. I've practiced over the years so that when I needed that power from God, it was right there and it was ready to go. You hear what I'm saying? It's kind of like um, we've, we've encouraged connectors over the last couple years to practice prophesying. And if you've been around for any length of time, you've heard one or more of us say something like this. I'm practicing listening to God, and, and I feel like the Lord has told me something. Do you mind if I share it with you? Okay, I'm just, I'm just practicing. And um, 
And a lot of us here at Connect are getting better and better and better at hearing God speak and sharing it with other people. There have been some really extraordinary stories here at Connect about how God has given supernatural uh, strengthening, encouraging, or comfort to people through this prophecy. Speaking in a prayer language or speaking in tongues is really no different. If you have never received a prayer language before, it's really very simple. You, you just ask your good father who loves to give good gifts, you ask him for this gift of a prayer language. And then he's going to give you the words, just like he gives you English words to share with somebody. He's going to give you words to speak. And, and, and this language is going to flow. Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in churches that, that uh, there was a lot of tongues speaking in the church I grew up in. And when you're a kid and you see this a lot all around you, uh, you kind of form conclusions about what it looks like and what it means. And I thought people that were speaking in this weird language were out of control and God had seized them and was controlling them. And a lot of times there was stuff that went along with it, like shaking and, you know, and, and that's fine. That, that does happen sometimes. But in, in my experience as a Christian person, what I've learned is more often, it's, it, it's not that God takes control of your mouth. It's that God gives you a language because he's a good father who gives good gifts, right? Are you with me? He's a good father who gives good gifts. And if you ask him, he's going to give you the gift. Jesus said, if you ask your father for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. So this isn't something to be, be afraid of. It's an excellent strategy to use when you're fighting the battle. Now, when we get to the end of our teaching today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive your prayer language if you never have. And I don't want you to be afraid or nervous if, if this is a strategy that you need to fight the battle, uh, we're going to pray with people to receive. And, and here's the thing. What's awesome, what's awesome is that the Holy Spirit has been pouring out prayer languages on connectors in the last two weeks, unprovoked of any teaching. In our young adults group, somebody received their prayer language just last week. And then this week, um, I heard one family that has three kids, all three of their kids received their prayer language this week, okay? See, see the, Lord is, the Lord is doing something. He's stirring something. And I was planning on teaching on this this week, but I didn't even know that's what, what but God is doing it. So if you have this little hesitancy or a little bit of fear, I, I want you to say, fear, go away. Because this is a strategy you need in your tool belt for when you're fighting the battle. You gotta know who the real enemy is, you've gotta armor up, and you need to pray in the spirit. You need to practice praying in the spirit. Years ago, we had a, a retired pastor that was part of our Connect Church family. His name was Harv. He went to be with Jesus several years ago. And when Harv was praying for people to receive their prayer language, he would say this. This is such great advice. He would say, sometimes the Lord will only give you one word or one syllable, like Bob. And Harv would say, just keep saying that one word. Just say it again and again, and the Lord will give you more because he's a good father. Okay, so today, if, if there's something in your spirit that's saying, this is my day to receive a prayer language, just get ready because we're going to go there at the end. Okay, you ready? We'll stick a stick a pin in that for now we're going to move on to something else okay all right last week if you were with us i i shared what i believe god is leading connect into for the next season a new vision and i shared with you that through the covid years and and all the pandemic panic the only vision that I could see was survival, and I think lots of us have been there. I shared with you last week that, that I feel like God is saying to connectors, let's get back to people fishing. Let's get back to people fishing. And so today I want to talk about that some more and, and talk about some strategies in how to battle for your fishes. 
Now, if you're new to this idea of people fishing, it comes from Jesus. He said to one of his disciples, Simon Peter, he said, don't be afraid. Peter was a fisherman, all right? And Jesus said to Simon Peter, from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. In other words, instead of making your living as a fisherman and that's all you do, I'm, I'm going to change your identity into somebody that goes fishing and brings people to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us at Connect, let's get back to people fishing. Let's get out into the world, into our community, and start bringing people to Jesus. But, but this is a spiritual battle as well. Now, again, just like, like people at Connect who have been receiving their prayer languages, uh, last week I, I shared with you some ideas that I, I've just had, and I've been asking the Lord about some communities that I feel like maybe are, are ready to come to Jesus and, and this week, we've had several people at Connect who have had interactions with people who either are homeless or have been homeless. And one of those people was Lucas. And I asked Lucas if he would share his experience. Because uh, these things were just God moments. They weren't things where people went out looking. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you share with us what, what happened to you, Lucas? Uh yeah, so Monday night, um, I was coming back from uh, a rehearsal at the university, and um, I always go the, the old road um, off 7th and come to Bel back to Belgrade. And um, for those of you that drive the road, know that there are spots where they're barely wide enough for two cars to walk on, and it's unsafe for cyclists or, or pedestrians to walk on. And uh, it's about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I, I catch this a flicker um, off of a, somebody's coat and, and bag uh, as I'm driving back to Belgrade. And, and oftentimes I see people walking on the side of the road and I'm like, well, it's Montana. If you're walking on the side of the road, it's because either you broke down or you don't have any car to get to where you need to go. Um, yeah. Um, and um, typically I'll, I'll often just drive by. But I had this huge tug, and, and I heard just stop, turn around. Um, and so I whip around and uh, ask this, uh, this lady on the side of the road, uh, do you need a ride? Is there somewhere I can take you? And um, she, said, she just started saying, well, I, my, my car broke down. I, I don't have any way to get home, and I'm just coming back from work, and, and, and I couldn't get anybody to get me a ride. And so, okay, we'll hop in. Let's take it back. And I was thinking she was living in Belgrade. She was walking from Smith's all the way back to Manhattan. Uh, that would have taken her till like 1 o'clock in the morning to get yeah. back to Manhattan. Yeah. Um, she hops in the car and, or in the truck, and we're driving back. And she just, thank you, thank you, God bless you. This is so great. And, and typically, I'm pretty, I'm pretty kind. I, I, yeah, let's hold the conversation. How's life? Blah, blah, blah. I couldn't get out any of that. I just, all I just heard was like, life is going to change. Everything is going to change for where you're at, um, for her. Uh, just like this download of everything. And the, we keep talking, more, more comes out. And finally, I just said, you know, I just had to pour out everything that was on my heart, everything that God was telling me at that point. And And it turns out uh, she had been homeless for the last two years since COVID. Um, after her dad died, her daughter died, her husband left her and took their son. And um, this year she was able to secure a, a mobile home uh, in Manhattan. And, and it just like all these things like... I heard resurrection, life is coming to you again, a new life is coming, new, new joys, new, and she said, well, I'm just starting from where I can, and um, she's a hardworking person, worked in, in the military for 17 years, but had to give it up to, to take care of her dad, um, so she gave up three years out of retirement, mm. um, so we get back to her place, and we just prayed for like Five minutes solid, and she's just bawling the whole way home. She said, my luck that I get, get picked up by a pastor. <laughs> well, God knows what he's doing, um, right? And uh, 
we prayed and prayed and prayed and um, and I, for me that was that was amazing but the, the most amazing part was after I left I felt like I was convulsing I like the, the spirit had taken so much hold, hold of me I called Jessica right after and she almost said why don't you pull off the side of the road you, you might need a second to calm down and but just like this, this rush through me of like, uh, I just, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. And then I, I called Russ afterwards because I just had to share it. When, when something that amazing happens for God's family, you have to let people know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and and uh, Russ kind of talked me down a little bit. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Make sure you get home. <laughs> um, uh, but it was, I had never experienced such an infilling of the Spirit, such this essence of, again, this is one thing I told Russ, I'm not that guy that, that wants to reach out and talk about Jesus in front of everybody. I just want to, I'll show how, how I live. Now you are. Yeah, right? <laughs> he proved me wrong. Um, and when, when it's the spirit leading, this, this bubbling up inside, and all you can do is just let it happen. It's God. Just let it, let it out, and he will wreck your life and everybody you come in contact with. Uh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, Lucas. Now, now listen, I'm paying attention to what God is doing in our church family, and it's happening in, in multiples, okay? This happens to Lucas on Monday. Uh, I talked to another connector on Tuesday who, who came to a meeting just kind of shaken because she had been sitting in a parking lot and somebody had knocked on her window of her car, of her car and said, I, I need baby formula can you give me some money for baby formula? Now, I, I don't believe anybody has ever knocked on my car window. And, and she, she came and, she, and, and this connector felt kind of bad because she said, I could have done it so much better. And I said, well, did you give her money? And she said, yes, I gave her everything that was in my wallet. Um, but she felt bad because she didn't share Jesus with, well, that was sharing Jesus with her, okay? And, and, and here's what I want you to know. God is speaking to us, and he's saying it's time to get back to people fishing. And then he's just opening up these doors with Lucas. He did it with this person just knocking on a car window. Listen, don't miss this moment. God is doing something. And, 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 and we're, we're going to start people fishing. We're going to start seeing people coming to Jesus. We're going to see people's lives transformed. But it's a spiritual battle. And so what I want to do here for the, for the rest of our time is I want to give you three strategies on how to battle for those fishes. You know who your fishes are. These are people that are swimming in your fishbowl, okay, that, that need Jesus. And, and you've identified them, you know who they are, and, and maybe there's some people that, that you have just stopped battling for. You've closed the horse gate because they're not receptive. They're defensive, maybe they're ugly, maybe they're insulting, maybe they've just said, don't talk to me about it again. But there's a battle going on and we need the strategy for how to reach the fishes in our fishbowl. You understand what I'm talking about? You with me? Okay, here's three strategies. Here's number one. Number one is dismantle the defensive walls. Now I'm going to tell you exactly what that means, but get that in your head first. Dismantle the defensive walls. I want you to imagine that you're riding your horse out of the horse gate into the battle, and while you're riding your horse, you encounter some people who are hunkered down behind some defensive walls. They're not the enemy. They're not enemy people. They're not in the enemy's camp, 
but they're being shielded by some defensive walls. And these are people that Jesus is calling you to dismantle those walls so that they can come to Jesus. You got the, the metaphor in your mind? Okay? They need rescue. Okay? The first strategy is to dismantle the defensive walls. I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 10. And don't go there in your Bibles. Just look at your screens. 2 Corinthians 10. Here's what we read. Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God, and we can break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Now, there's a lot in this verse. I want to read it one more time because I want you to really perceive this. One more time. Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. These are people's defenses. Do you know anybody who's defensive? Okay, I know a bunch of people that are defensive. Do you know anybody that has their walls up? Okay, we will never get to these folks until we can penetrate those defenses. And this is a spiritual battle. There's, there's deception involved. A lot of times there's arrogance involved. And there's a resistance to the Spirit of God. So the question is, how do you dismantle the defenses? How do you destroy those walls? Some versions call these strongholds. Have you ever heard the word stronghold? Okay, these are the defensive walls that people have built up. There's a few ways that we can penetrate those defenses. We can pray, battling prayers. Okay, we can pray, bless you. We can pray, battling prayers. Do you have somebody in your mind that, that needs their defensive walls penetrated? You can begin to pray. And, and, and I take inspiration from the life of Daniel. God, I want to pray for my friend. I want to pray for my friend Ian. He has been on my heart the last few days. And I know that he has built up defensive walls against God. God, I want to ask you to send giant warring angels to pull down the defensive walls that are surrounding Ian. God, I want to pray that, Lord, you will do a work in the spiritual realm, Lord, that, that will bring truth to some of the deception in Ian's mind that has caused him to to. to push away the knowledge and the understanding of God. Lord, I, I know that Ian has, has always struggled with pride. Lord, I want to pray that you will begin to work in his life to begin to change this pride. God, I need you in the spiritual realm to come against the spiritual forces that are keeping Ian in bondage in Jesus' name and by the power of Jesus. Okay? This is praying battling prayers. You can pray this way for whoever the fishes are that you are, are reaching out towards, that you're going fishing for. Now, sometimes another way to battle these, these defensive walls are to speak the truth. If you have an opportunity and people are receptive, you can speak truth. And always, always, always the way you penetrate these defensive walls is by loving well. Relationship is the key. Now, now these two examples that I've shared this morning, um, you know, Lucas's and this other connector who had somebody tap on their window, these were strangers. It's awesome when we have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with a stranger. But often the people we're fishing for are people that we have a relationship with, Right? And it means that we have to love them well. You know what love looks like, right? Yeah. 
Love looks like kindness. Love looks like respect. Love means sometimes we have to overlook stuff that is not cool with me, right? Because the point is I got I to gotta lead them to Jesus. Sometimes when we're, when we're reaching out to people who are, um, who live lifestyles that are so different from us, it's easy for us to use language that is mocking or belittling with them. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. Can, can I just share a personal story that can illustrate this a little bit? Um, it's, been a, it's been a while since I've talked about this, so some of you are probably not aware uh, that I was not born into the Michaels family. Um, Michaels is a made-up last name. I changed my name when I was 26 years old. I was born into the Dickoff family. It's, it's okay to snicker. <laughs> Junior high was horrible. Can I just say that? And, and in junior high, something shifted. In grade school, everybody called me Russ, okay? And in junior high, for some reason, teachers, especially gym teachers, decided to just call everybody by their last name. So I'm going through gym class, and the only thing I hear is, dick off, run faster, okay? And all of my classmates are giggling, like some of you are resisting to do. Let me just tell you, it was terrible, Okay, and I couldn't wait to get to, to the point where I, I could legally change my name. Now, there was a, there was a youth leader in Montana. He was the, our, our network of churches has one guy that's kind of in charge of all the youth pastors. He's, he's called the District Youth Director, DYD. His name was Keith Elder. Some of you will remember him. He was this big grizzly bear of a guy and he was the DYD when I was coming up in church here in Montana and he was one of those jock kind of guys that just called people by the last name so I'd go to youth camp I couldn't get away from dick off I was dick off at camp I was dick off at at you name it I was dick off everywhere and and I hated it and and when I was 26 I changed my name to Michaels and I remember going to the first gathering of churches uh, where Keith was, and, and he had heard through the grapevine that I had changed my last name to Michaels, and he walked up to me, and he begins sputtering. And, and, um, and, and, and I could tell he couldn't figure out what to call me because he never knew my first name, and he couldn't remember my last name, my new last name. All he could remember was Dickoff. But he loved me enough not to call me by the name I didn't want to be called, so he just didn't call me anything. He just was awkward. <laughs> and this happened over and over and over and over. But you know what I loved about Keith? Is he cared enough about my feelings not to disrespect me. Because he could have said, nah, you'll always be dick off to me. That's what some people did. And, and the reason I'm telling you this story is because if we're going to love people well and if we're going to if we're gonna dismantle defensiveness, it means we're gonna to have to disarm whatever people are defensive about. And sometimes it's labels. Are you with me? Sometimes it's generalizations. We make assumptions about people. And, and if we're going to lead people to Jesus, we have to dismantle the defensiveness so we can get behind those walls and gently walk people towards Jesus. Okay? Jesus did this so well. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter... Where are we at? John 8. John 8. Starting at verse 3. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. I want to pause right there. Listen, religion doesn't love people. Religion uses people to prove a point. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They didn't care about this woman. They just wanted to prove a point and they wanted to get Jesus in trouble. It says that Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And the Pharisees kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, and I don't know here if they heard what he was saying with his mouth or if they heard what he was writing in the dust. Something was going on in the dust. When they heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Now pay attention. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, this is critical. This is strategy from Jesus. Here's strategy number two for the people you're fishing for. No condemnation. Oh, friends, we've got to learn this. We've got to learn from Jesus. In John chapter three, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. And then he demonstrated it again and again and again with people who were caught in all kinds of ugly sin. He said to this woman who had been caught doing it, I don't condemn you. How do we condemn people? Threats of punishment. If you keep behaving like that, you're going to go straight to hell. Condemnation. Shame. How many of you have heard somebody say to you, shame on you? And you have, you have worn shame like a parka, right? It doesn't bring you to Jesus. It just makes you hate yourself. No condemnation. But here's the third strategy. Because Jesus didn't stop there. Here's the third strategy. Let Jesus raise the bar after they've experienced forgiveness. Whose job is it to raise the bar? Jesus's job. It's Jesus's job to raise. I want you to think about your life. Who's been effective at raising the bar for you? Now, if I, if I reflect on my own life, there, there are a small group of people who have spoken truth to me and they've really helped me raise the bar. But if I look at the arc of my whole life, the person who has raised the bar, meaning he is somebody who said, now stop sinning, Russ, stop sinning. Do you know who that person is that's really raised the bar for me? Over and over and over, it's Jesus. And, and so when we, when we help people dismantle their defenses and, and then we stop with the condemnation and then we let Jesus raise the bar, we're going to see people really come into the fullness of life with Jesus. But that's the strategy, and that's the order of the strategy. Now, <coughs> excuse me, it's possible that Jesus will use you to help raise the bar. But before you start raising the bar for all of the fishes in your, in your fish bowl, 
Before you start doing that, I would encourage you to ask yourself a really important question. You want to know what the question is? Does Jesus really need my help? That's all I have to say about that. Okay, we're going to pray. Musicians, you can come if you would. Would you close your eyes? And I, I just want to ask nobody to look around. Let's just give everybody in the room privacy. I have my eyes open. I hope that's okay with you, but I want to I pray for you specifically if you choose to raise your hand, okay? The horse gate, the battle gate, is a gate that you need to engage. And I believe that as I've been teaching today, some of you have become aware that you have closed the battle gate on some important battles in your life. And I want to pray with you before we go on to anything else today. I want to pray for you if you have stopped fighting. Maybe you've stopped fighting temptation. Maybe you've stopped fighting in, in your relationships. Maybe you've stopped fighting whatever it is. You've stopped fighting and it's today Today's your day to open the door and re-engage, and you're going to employ some of these strategies. Uh, right now, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you if, if it's time for you to start getting back to the battle, okay? Okay, a whole bunch of people. Nobody's looking around. You don't have to feel ashamed or embarrassed. Okay, you can put your hands down. Jesus, we are coming to you today with our hands raised. And we're asking you, Lord, today to give us the spiritual power that we need to get back to the battle. Some of us have just stopped fighting. We're ignoring, we're avoiding, we're sweeping stuff under the rug, we're pretending. All of these things are strategies we've employed to just avoid the battle, but you're calling us today, Jesus, to get back to the fight because we've got to lean into you and victory belongs to the Lord. Would you say that with me one more time? Victory belongs to the Lord. Lord, we trust you to lead us into victory. In the powerful name of Jesus.